0: You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are sharing with you conversations with five spiritual entrepreneurs who were awarded the 2021 Tom Locke Innovative Leader Award from the Wesleyan Investive. For more information, visit award.wesleyaninvestive.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Greenwood here with my friend and co-host, Casper Turkile. Hi, Casper.
1: Hey, Lisa.
0: So we're excited to share with you another conversation with a Locke Innovative Leader Award winner. And I have to say, I have found myself really moved and inspired by every one of these conversations.
1: Yeah, I love also hearing how different each one is. Even though the themes across them have such similarities, the way that they work have such resonance with each other... Who they are as individuals is so different. Right. And I I just love seeing that multiplicity and that room for different ways of leading and being in this work of innovation.
0: Yeah. I can't wait for them to be together in a cohort. It's gonna be powerful
1: for sure. Is there room to have more, more than five winners? I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just serve tea, whatever it takes. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. Just want to be a fly on the wall, for sure. So if this is your first time listening in, you can hear about the Locke Award on our first episode or check out our website, and those links are in our show notes. And what you'll see is a truly extraordinary group of individuals who, frankly, are leading the way for the church.
1: So joining us today is our Locke Innovative Leader Award winner, Leroy Barber. Leroy is a pastor, an entrepreneur, a professor, and a multi-published author who now lives in Portland, Oregon. He's the co-founder of the Voices Project, which gathers leaders of color across fields who all pursue and work for change, for important conversations about the current challenges and triumphs within communities of color and their role as cultural influences. He's the author of Embrace, God's Radical Shalom for a Divided World, from 2016 and is the director of innovation for an engaged church in the greater Northwest area of the UMC. And you will hear this theme of innovation that just runs throughout Leroy's story. He's been doing this for a while. Yeah. Um, and as he says, you know, he has failed often enough not to be afraid of failure And he's succeeded often enough to know that it's worth trying again. And I just love that commitment to experimentation and to innovation. And I love just as much the the way he describes his wife, Donna, as this kind of wise voice of reason that helps him (laughs) figure out when it's the right time to take a risk.
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) What stood out for you in this conversation, Lisa?
0: You know, Leroy's this interesting guy who is this, you know, innovator and he's he's in the Baptist tradition and he's a disruptor and now here he sits in what we call the deep center, right? He's uh, he's on the cabinet in a, a conference in the United Methodist Church. And so he's this edge leader in the center. And so I I love how he navigates that and how he talks about how he navigates that. And, and that feels really important for us today as mm. we think about the work of the church for this season.
1: And it's all about relationships, yeah. right? He, he keeps coming back to that theme of it's the quality of the relationships at the center, right. at the edge. It's the quality of the relationships with the partners you have, and you can just tell he's someone who takes such care to make sure those relationships are healthy. Because from a healthy relationship, all goodness can come. Right. And uh, yeah, I think we can all learn something from from Leroy. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as you listening. So
0: oh, hi Leroy. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Good to be here. Thanks for having me again.
0: It's great to be with you. So we want to jump in, just starting with your story. And and specifically, what are some of the significant events or encounters that have shaped you and brought you to this moment in your life?
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, how long is this podcast? Yeah, right. That's a big question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Some of the significant events, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly,
2: right. <laughs> well, I would say shaping and forming and framing was early church life and mm-hmm. folks there. It gave me kind of a basis, foundational understanding of Scripture and, and faith and all those kind of things. Now, that was dual. I went to a Baptist church, but I also went to Catholic school. I actually went to mass and my church every week for most of my most of my growing up years. so so when I say church I mean both of those streams that that was that was formative for me and uh, the the mentors along the way that that we've picked up uh, have been have been extremely informative so I would say church and uh, just being being around the right people.
0: That's great that's great. So you grew up. On the East Coast, and now you're mm-hmm. on the West Coast. <laughs> so, trace a little of that for us. I'm
2: in the Northwest. You know, you got it. Yes. Pacific
0: Northwest. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs>
2: and the reason I know that is because I've been here eight years now. Uh, so, <laughs> Philadelphia is where I'm originally from, and they didn't move away from there until early 30s, and then spent 17 years in Atlanta. Uh, and Atlanta was kind of where. You know, our kids were little when we moved there, so we raised our family. That's kind of where we shaped and got to really play around with a lot of different mm-hmm. shaping concepts around community development and entrepreneurship and innovation and all those things. So we did a lot of that in Atlanta uh, and then eight years ago move, moved out here to Portland, originally working with an organization that does work globally and now working with United Methodist Church in this area.
0: And it's in Portland that you founded the Voices Project. Will you tell us a little bit about the Voices Project? I mean, how it came to be and mm-hmm. and what you all do?
2: We actually started it in Atlanta right before right before oh. we moved here and then but the bulk of the time we've been here in Portland. And that that was started out of a desire to bring originally it was just black leaders we were going to bring together and talk about our life within the evangelical church world Uh and and beyond because we had uh, some some mainland folks there we're passing mainland churches too but black folks saying hey this is what we're experiencing we came together about six or eight of us And began talking about what this should look like. And one of the one of the things that was a part of it is that we wanted to connect with all communities of color moving forward. And so uh, that was kind of in original the original intent, but it was a group of black leaders first. And we came out with the idea of training, encouraging, and promoting leaders of color. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that has been really, really cool for us to have promoting leaders of color as a driver for our work, Mm -hmm. which means we don't worry about doing programming and what our agenda is and all that kind of stuff. We basically amplify other people, mm. other folks of color. that's that's the work of
1: voices, and it's been a mm. I always think of um Paula Vogel, the playwright who talks about circles rising together. And your work exemplifies that so beautifully, Leroy, because as you said, you're, you're, you know, you're spotlighting these other leaders, you're, you're bringing them together, you're convening them. And you are a teacher and a writer of, of high esteem. I mean, you've written four books, you, you've published widely. How do, how do you put together this kind of balance between finding a place for your own voice and inviting other people into the circle, into the conversation? What, what does that look like in your work? Uh, I
2: th- I think uh, you know early on, you know, being young, I wanted to be in the spotlight, right? I wanted to I wanted to get that big job. I remember yes. saying, "I want to be president of a missions organization." And then when I became president of a missions organization, it's like, what? <laughs> right? So so all of that aspiration was there, and I I think I've met a lot of those things, only to come to that as a leader, br- what brings me joy is seeing other people develop and, g- mm. and gain their voice and use their voice in the world. So now that's I see my writing and my speaking as a way just to open up space for other people. If I have any kind of reputation, that's what I want to use it for.
1: Well, and the spaces that you create, this comes through so strongly in how you talk about your work. Is that they are liberating spaces right you're bringing people together but it's not just to continue the conversation they've already been in you you want to change the conversation you want to shift the structure of what's happening can you tell us a little bit how do you do that you know you you mentioned one by saying hey this invitation is explicitly for black leaders Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the other ways that you kind of design those spaces so that they have that liberating power Mm-hmm. You know, it's,
2: it's interesting because now these are popular terms, right? When we, uh-huh. 11 years ago, the idea of, hey, we're just bringing together black leaders or just bringing together leaders of color uh, mm-hmm. to talk about leadership, it wasn't popular or, or really accepted. But now to say, hey, we bring it, we bring them together and the space is shaped around saying, you know, bring your unassimilated self to this space. That's mm. the person we want to engage with and we open that door for for folks to do that uh at, at every every time we gather mm. and uh story after story of of leaders of color going i've never i've never had that request i've no one has ever given me permission to be that or do that uh mm. and voices has done that for them and so that's we try to we try to be just consistent with that message um, mm-hmm. and give people, leaders especially, the space to to do that and ask them the question, what does it mean to lead out of who you were created to be? Not not who other people are asking you to be, but who you think you are, how God has shaped you, informed you, bring that person to the table. What does that look like?
1: Would you, and I don't know, maybe this is asking more than I should, so tell me if that's the case, but <laughs> would, would, you, <laughs> would, would you would would you you tell us a story about what happens when that space is made? Like when you're asking someone, you know, what's it like to leave from that place? What do, what do they say?
2: I think I'll have permission to share this story. She's mid-40s and Korean. She tells a story going to a concert and uh, she's married to a white man. She tells a story of going to a concert and and looking around a room and going, wow, there are no people of color here. Yeah. She came to a Voices mm-hmm. conference uh, mm-hmm. two years ago when we were having a Black-Asian conversation. She says and gives a witness that that was the first time she had ever been in a space like that, and that was an awakening for her to her huh. own identity. Uh, and that's, that's one story of, of many that where, where we've heard that for hers and hers particular was like, you know, she goes from not even recognizing her, her own identity in the world mm-hmm. to now kind of, kind of awakening and, and, and dealing with that. She, <laughs> she went home and said to, she was talking to her husband. She says, I'm breaking up with whiteness. And he's like,
0: whoa, wait, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> That's powerful. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. I mean, one of the things I'm hearing in that is, and even you said like 11 years ago, it wasn't popular to do this kind of thing, right? And there's kind of been this theme all the way through your entrepreneurial life of being a disruptor, of looking around and seeing what was needed and and then like asking a new question or changing the script, if you will from you know the assimilated voice to trust your own voice you know in mm-hmm. in that example mm-hmm. so so i'm curious now 11 years later are are you what kind of resistance do you meet as you do this work today mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the resistance i think now has uh in some ways, it's overt, right, in race in the streets, right, and what we're seeing around us um, in society politically and all those kind of things. But in another way, some of that has gone underground, right? And you have to, you have to really look for some of the nuances uh, to, to, to decide or know or understand what's happening here. And so um, the disruption now looks like, no... There's a little nuance there that you have to be careful of because it represents supremacy and and white culture being pushed on folks of color and you've got to recognize mm. that that nuance, right? And so mm. a lot of my work now is is literally in board meetings or uh, and helping folks around the room see the nuances of what mm. they're doing. We talk about a lot the idea Of helping and an idea of 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 missions, right? Where Mm -hmm. where we are, right? And that is embedded in people's minds, right? So when we say community engagement, a church hears because or or leaders in that church hear missions. They hear Mm -hmm. how can we help these people, right? And we're talking community engagement as partnership, as equity, meaning to bring. People to the table, uh, as equals and gather as equals. And so I'm not, I'm not saying to a church, go out and find a houseless ministry or go out and meet the people in need in your community. I'm actually saying listen to your community enough to know the people who are leading in that space and get to know the leaders and, and then, and then create things with, with, with people like that. Churches are used to just, just a handout, right? Or, or we're going to do for for someone, even even when they're even when they think they're doing a great job. And I don't, I don't want to disparage folks from doing those things. But if you're going to get to some equity, if you're going to get to understanding young people, if you're going to get to what what new has to happen, you've got to listen differently mm. and create and be a part of. Not even create, be a part of. Um, mm. I even kind of almost want to get churches out of the idea of like we're we're going to allow something or we're going to make something and invite people to, as opposed to, no, no, why don't you join something that's already going on in, in in neighborhood or or community where you are. Uh,
1: You know, one of the things that has really struck me speaking with you and the other folks who've been given this award is the way in which you have built collaborations. I mean, even just looking at voices project, right. You're bringing people together from, The world of media, from arts, from business, and from the church. It feels like when you look out at the world, you're not seeing the same boundaries or categories that are often imposed on how people Mm -hmm. think about themselves, Mm -hmm. and you're seeing something else. So, when you're building a partnership or you're getting people to collaborate, what do you look for? Like how 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 are you thinking about the the threads that you weave together?
2: That's a that is a really good question because I it's making me wonder. If I, if I look for something or that I try to present myself as a follower of Jesus in a different light that I, I don't want people to think I am there as the, you know, the church, the big, you know, this, this big institution that has all this stuff to bring and we're going to help you. I I hope to present, uh, I am a leader. I don't, I don't deny that. And I have things that I would like to put in, but I want to put them in as an equal to, to a space. And so in voices, we kind of, the reason we have those seven channels is because the church isn't the only thing speaking to culture. And it isn't (laughs) the only thing people are listening to. It's one of the things. And that's really hard for, for a lot of Christian circles, church circles to understand that you're you like you're one thing. People are gonna to listen to all of these different areas to make decisions. And so you need to be a you need, you need to be a really good good person and partner in the midst of that.
1: I'm smiling to myself a little bit, Leroy, because you've had such good training in how to be a good partner. And I'm thinking of Donna, your wife, of, of you know, many years and reading (laughs) about your work, Mike, you have done everything together. Like this has (laughs) really been a a co-created ministry in some way. Would you tell us about her and and how you've worked (laughs) together these, (laughs) these decades? That's
2: good. My, my wife, Donna is my partner in, in every kind of way. Right. Uh, We, 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 I got married at 20 years old and she was 21. So we literally grew up together. We went to the same church growing up. And here, here's the thing, we are opposite in every way you can possibly imagine. <laughs> I'm an extrovert, she's an introvert, right? Uh, you know that, that INTJ, I have a uh-uh. P at the end, she has a J at the end. Uh, and so we approach life and work from opposite perspectives. And I, I, I laugh about it now because we've been doing it so long, but those opposite perspectives uh, help us mm. uh, put something that's that's more dynamic out mm. uh, because we, we've, we've learned to give one another our space. So uh, where I'm, I'm an idea risk taker, creative, want to like want to do everything in the world, want to change it all. She's very methodic, you know, very detailed, always asked the questions that like innovators like me don't want to ask, like, why, why are you doing (laughs) that? Right. Does this fit into our overall mission or is that just a rabbit trail you're going (laughs) down? Right. Like innovators don't want to be asked that question when we're in the Uh, middle of something like, let's go. Right. But she does and uh, she's confident enough to ask them and, uh, Mm. and it's, and it's, it's worked for us. So.
0: I love it. You make each other better. It's the way it ought to be, right?
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I
0: don't know if I make
2: her better, but she definitely (laughs) makes me better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair Mm -hmm. enough. Fair enough. Okay. So you have this interesting little bit to your life in that you uh, grew up Baptist and you still Mm -hmm. are, Mm -hmm. and you find yourself at the deep center (laughs) of the United Methodist Church as you serve on the cabinet Mm -hmm. of the greater Northwest Pacific Northwest Mm -hmm. uh, annual Mm -hmm. conference. So a little bit about how you got there, but I'm really just, I'm frankly, I'm intrigued by the role that you're playing and what that's like Mm -hmm. for you and you know, what you're learning along the way.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, the, the connection came actually through, some contract work we were doing with Voices. We were in a, a building that had closed down, a church that had closed down, and we were just advising, really, a group, local group. And then Voices got connected for some internship stuff. And then the DS at the time came and said, hey, there's this, there's this job that I think you should take a look at. And I'm like, uh, I'm not Methodist. Uh, and, uh, she's like, I don't think they, they, I don't think they want a Methodist. I'm like, really? So that's, that's where the connection point came in. And I think, I think in, in their minds and kudos to, to, to Bishop Elaine for, for doing this, our question, she, she interviewed me herself. Our question at the end of that interview, my question was, will you be ready when, all of this stuff starts hitting the ground. And she looked at me and said, "I don't know, we'll see." She was completely honest through the whole, through the whole thing. I am an outsider, and I, under, I, I understand that. And I think if I didn't understand that, this would be a much, much harder space, but it also brings some fresh some fresh stuff into play that I think is is helpful. and I think, I think for the most part, folks would would, would, uh, would agree. And you see, you see, I I, I study a lot of innovation and I came up with this, this saying that I think is mine. Innovation happens at the intersection of difference
1: Mm.
2: and meaning you can't really innovate if you don't bring something different in. Right. Yeah. That doesn't automatically mean you'll you'll actually come up with an innovative idea, but you're not even on the path if you don't bring something disruptive or something different to the table. So I've been I've been introducing a lot of difference. So we'll we'll see if these things are actually innovative down the road.
1: I love that. Yeah, I've heard it said that if if you want to change the conversation, you have to change who's in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to keep you know talking about the same thing every time. Yes. You, you you have this ability, Leroy, to like step into risk with grace. And you, you've taken so many risks. I mean, even stepping into this Methodist system, right, as a Baptist, that, that's another risk. And you mentioned that you know Donna will be there to ask good questions, maybe before before you take the full step. But can you can you help us understand what what gives you that confidence or that courage to try something new, to enter into a relationship where you're still figuring it out, to you know to 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 be that innovator? and and what do you look for just in your senses to feel like oh this is good this is worth investing in and keeping growing into H- how do you know when an innovation has that kind of potential
2: one thing is over time you literally fail enough that you're no longer afraid of failing right uh, nice uh, nice so that that's one thing <laughs> that i just as just Failing is just not a factor that plays in uh, to, to me not doing something. Anymore. I've tried enough things and enough things haven't worked. <laughs> um, and probably the opposite is true. I've tried enough things and enough things have worked. And, and so both things are true. That's what allows me or keeps me jumping into to risk, uh, weighing both of these things, knowing both of these things can happen. Like this could mm. be bomb or this could be incredible. Generally, it's going to fall (laughs) along those
1: lines. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. So almost by definition, institutions are risk averse, right? They're Mm. trying to protect what is. And so how do you navigate that? Like what resistance do you experience? And then how do you invite the institution, if you will, to step into that?
2: I don't know if all innovators operate this way. Probably not, I'm sure. But I I am a relational person. Mm. And so the way I get through some of those pitfalls is by keeping my relationships intact Mm. uh, and letting folks know, like, Mm. I will not make a decision to throw our relationship away. Mm. Right. I won't do that. The decision is for a purpose. Mm. And that purpose isn't. For our relationship to break down. Mm -hmm. So how do we keep our relationship in the midst of some really hard stuff, uh, uh, you know, many times. And that means uh, that uh, I, I, I spend time if there's people I need to make sure, hey, I text or I touch base with. I I drive a lot. So I drive up and go see our planters. I I, I spend time with uh, some of our DSs talking on the phone, having social interaction, all of Mm -hmm. those things that are highly, you know, relational components. Like I spend time doing those. Those are important. Everybody has, you know, relationships that have broken down and that are either over or hard in your life mm-hmm. that you wish you had done done differently. But I can't I, I can I can go back to anywhere I've worked, anywhere, and have really good relationships with people. Mm. Even ones where I've had to like fire folks or do those kinds of things. I try to go back and 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 do something about them. Or mm. that decision wasn't about our relationship. And so we we're able to move move on in our relationship growing outside of it.
1: That is a real testament.
0: So that's making me think, Leroy, about about how you, as an edge person, as an innovator and entrepreneur who sits at the center of an institution, how you keep yourself sort of grounded and and energized, right? I mean, I want to say sane, but I'm trying to be sort of kind here, (laughs) right? (laughs) I
2: I think I'll go back to some of that, uh, that... The center for me are the people, right? So I'm 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 trying not to make the center like the mm. like these these things that the institution has to do and these rules that we have to follow, right? right? This given agenda, y'all know the Methodist world, right? That that stuff actually keeps you away from people. Like? Mm. It 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 has its own life. It doesn't it just needs a manager. What I manage in there are my relationships, but you need leadership for the edge. The organization is used to, at best, I, I always say, at best, institutions like this have the really good managers. And probably for the most part, uh, I mean this in the best way, but for the most part, leaders that don't get out on the edge and take risk. Their their management's uh, Gets them into the center and and thrive there. Their leadership uh, is a different story, and so mm. I manage relationships in the middle and I lead on the edge. I think those two work work pretty well together uh, because when you have a good idea or, or you you have something different to throw into the mix, throwing it into the mix of people that I have a relationship with and trust me to get to the edge. Trust me that when I'm on the edge here, pulling that thing off, that I'm not breaking anything with you as I do this. Mm -hmm. we got a couple ideas brewing right now. Right. So I got to I got to talk to every DS. Right. Uh, Our team does has to talk to every DS and kind of go, hey, what are you thinking about your area and how can we how can we do this? Because when I'm out, when I when it's hitting the ground, we like we can't do that. We've got to run it off of the edge to folks that we're trying to we're trying to connect with. It's kind of tricky. I hope that was clear, but
1: it's kind of tricky. Oh, I see the trickiness and I see your skill in doing it because <laughs> you're, you're, you're constantly jumping from one perspective to the other. And it's, it's in that weaving together that the whole is able to flourish. And that's, that's what you do. It's a, a joy to behold, Leroy. So thank you. Thank
0: it really you. is. And what I hear in that too is that you, you genuinely value the people with whom you are in ministry. You know, okay, center absolutely. and edge. When you genuinely value the people and what they bring, mm-hmm. then it's not about the constraints or the the rules or expectations. It's about how you all can stay in relationship and right. then be mm-hmm. about the the ministry, the purpose.
1: So, Leroy, I've got three rapid fire questions for oh, you. Okay, give us and I ready. want you to close your eyes and take yourself back to that happy wedding day when you were just twenty years old. <laughs> And to think about what do you wish you had known when you were starting out your professional journey when your ministry was just beginning?
2: I wish like I would have known one person Mm. who thought like this Mm. when I was 20 because I would have eaten that alive. Man, when I was 20? Oh my gosh, I was so confused. Do y'all know I went to school for accounting?
1: What? (laughs) (laughs) No disrespect to accountants, but that's not the first thing I think of when I see you. Exactly.
2: (laughs) I entered Temple University uh, in 1982 as an accountant major. Well, the accountancy's world
1: loss is our game. (laughs) That's (laughs) the All right. Second question. What do you... What is the thing that you wish other leaders in the church knew? What do you wish they understood? That I have their best interest at heart.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: That I I love Jesus and I love the church. Mm. Mm. People don't always think that I, that's my bottom line, but it, it really is. With all the stuff that I do out here and get involved with, and people misconstrue, man, I like, I. I love Jesus and I love the church. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 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 unapologetic about that.
0: Mm-hmm. I just want
2: that presented differently in the world.
1: Now, As we know, you're not a Wesleyan in the in the affiliation format yourself, but you've come really close to this tradition and you're a leader within it. What is, with your perspective, the essence of the Wesleyan tradition? What's at the very heart of it?
2: I carry two things with me: the idea of personal piety, Mm
1: -hmm. that
2: that I've got to work on my spiritual self, Mm. right? And obviously do that within a community of people working on that. And the second part is the driver for me completely, a denomination built on the idea of social holiness. That's built into the DNA. Do you know Uh that is exactly what the world wants right now? Yes. How, like, There's such a miss, right? Like, it's like, wait, this thing has got something to it. I don't know a young person who wouldn't eat alive the idea that, oh, wait, I can can connect spiritually and all of this stuff that I want to do, be out in the streets and protest, and that could be connected to my actual life as a Christian or as a follower Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Yes, it can. It's built into us. And I, I just, man, if, if, if the Methodist Church got that back, recovered that.
0: May it be so. <laughs> so, we want to end our time together with a blessing for you. Uh, receive this blessing. Leroy, we give thanks to God for you, for the ways that you look around you and ask, what's missing? What's not working? And then step right into that gap with curiosity and action. Thank you for truly listening to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, especially when those leadings disrupt the way that things have always been done. Today, we give thanks to God for you, and we pray God's blessings on you and Donna and your whole family that you may experience the fullness of God's presence as you face each new day and continue to lean into God's call. May the God of abundance who miraculously shows up when you set the table and open the door, may that God fill you with the confidence to say yes for as long as you live. By the grace of God, may it be so. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from Truthwork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Mark Miller, For more information about Mark, visit his website at markamillermusic.com and find his music on YouTube. Make sure to view our show notes and website for more information about our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.